Welcome to the Mumbrella Podcast, brought to you from the Burrowed Studios of CBS Interactive. I'm Tim Burrows, and it's been a week of winners with Australian Idol and The Apprentice both reaching their climax. But how did they rate? We also talked the do's and don'ts of blog PR, and we get the verdict on new ad for Bogues. Joining us as usual, Mumbrella's Deputy Editor Camilla Alcon. Hello. And PR man extraordinaire Scott Rody from House Party. Hey Tim, hi Camille. Let's make a start with television. The winner of Australian Idol for 2009 is... Australian Idol revealed Stan Walker as this year's winner. The ratings for 10 weren't stellar. Camille, talk us through the numbers, if you would. Look, there, there are three parts to the show. The main bits are live from the Opera House, which is the bulk of the, the broadcast. This was on the Sunday night. This Sunday night. Um, and so this year, um, it was 1.1 million live from the Opera House. So Last that was like year, the main long That was the, the longest bit where yes. all the performances and lead up to the, to the verdict, announcing of the winner. But just generally speaking, it's been a, a year-on-year fall, so it's it's significant. Now, for the final verdict this year... Final verdict this year was about 1.23. And even when you look at the peak of 1.7 or something, there's no idea yeah, that's so, 4 million. And it was 1.55 um, in 2008, and that the final verdict for 2004, the second year um, the show was up, wasn't went to air, that was about 3.4 million. I suppose the question is how much life is left in that uh, franchise, Scott? Um, to be honest, I think it's like Big Brother, same thing that happened to that. People just get fed up with the same thing year in, year out. Plus, I think when you know when when Idol first launched in the UK and America and over here, you know it was treated with a fanfare. People thought it was fresh, it was interesting. But now you've got so many different things contending like X Factor, or the, you know people are getting the snippets across the web. So you know that's made a quite difference because people get to see all the talent around the world rather than just focusing on one country. I keep wondering if we will see the X Factor here. Oh. We did try it. It was actually um, on air on Channel 10 a little while ago, um, a few years ago, and it, it flopped, basically. I don't know if it's maybe a case of Australia is too small compared to the UK, for example, where there's only a limited amount of talent given the population. So you can't really sustain an X Factor as well as an Australian Idol because X Factor is groups as well as duos as well as... Um, and, of course, there's been Australia's Got Talent as well. And so that too. Um, so it was a bit of a, maybe it's more of a case of um, just too much for our population, and I think it's also a case of event TV really. I think uh, ten years of um, of reality TV, people are just getting a bit fed up of it. I mean, a lot of people are. We can see from the latest shows that people are watching. You know, the Force, Border Security, Bones, Australian Idol. Well, that was the the one point. That was the final verdict one. You know, people are people are actually taking the time to watch shows again. I think there was a there was a an emptiness uh, a few years ago of some good TV shows and it was filled with reality TV and then there's coming back to people wanting actual good entertainment rather than watching and laughing at people. Well of course the big success has over the last I guess 18 months two years has been packed to the rafters you know Mm. feel good warm family drama but Australian made. Mm. Mm. So um, sticking with reality um, it was also the finale 
of The Apprentice. Yeah, ex- um, big big surprises there with the ratings, Tim. Finally saw Morello win through <laughs> to be Mark Boros's right-hand man on a $200,000 salary. Now, we all had our kind of bets on how this final episode would go, and I think I probably lost, and I think you probably came I closest, did. Camille. I because I said about 850000 And it was it was nearly that. It was 834000 mm. That was the preliminary ratings for most term. Um, I think I, my, well, I, I think my, most, oh, sorry. I thought the most surprising thing actually was that it rated much lower than Australian Idol, and given that um, Channel 10's audience is, you know, their um, target audience is 18 to 49 year olds, whereas nine and seven go for the total people. Um, you know, over at least Australian Idol got over the one million mark, whereas Sli- this didn't. Slightly later slot, of course. Mm. So, in fairness, and I know that I, I did have a. A slightly cross phone call from a Channel Nine press officer last week when when we described it as a flop, saying very testily that it did win its time slot, which became a debate, obviously, on yes, but you choose to put it in a late night time slot because it not, might not win an earlier one, etc. Mm. Scott, do you think we'll see another series? Um, I think there's a possibility, um, but again, it's reality TV. Do people really? Uh, we discussed this last week. Are people a bit sick of just negative TV? Do they want something that makes them feel a little bit better in life? Is it negative? I mean, you well, it's know, just somebody. Winners, but it's someone good news stories. But most of the time, it's just somebody putting people down, and it gets to people who, when they're wanting something, you know, a little bit cheery in their life, you know, do, do you really want to switch on and be depressed all night? Camille, do you want to see another episode of The Apprentice? Well, I mean, we are all about the tall poppy here in Australia, so I don't know. Maybe we do like seeing people cut down. If it does come back, it will be yeah, a late slot. It won't be. Was it an? It's nine thirty slot. You know, if it was that high rating, it would be eight thirty. So if yeah, I mean that was the funny thing, wasn't it? And it became Monday nights was all all about sort of flash forward from seven, the sci-fi earlier on, and then the Apprentice later on over on nine. Um, and actually, and in fairness, flash forward is you know as I suppose they do with these kind of you know sort of continuing dramas has faded so that's you know that's not sort of stayed as strong as it as it launched with which is a shame actually because I've actually caught up on it recently and it's a really good show well there you go <laughs> quite disappointed it's fading and absolutely audience out there yeah the question is uh, and I, I've, I've no idea if they've said what's going to happen after this series because of course there's there's the date to which they're all flash forwarding to but yeah. what happens after that date is there potential maybe they all have another flash or? forward <laughs> Yeah, so um, that is, um, I, I guess, one of the. Again, it's a big international franchise. Are we done though with big franchises? I mean, you mentioned Big Brother having having been chopped early this year. Well, I, I, I don't think we're done with them. I think that there's a possibility of somebody's going to come up with a new idea that's going to spark the public's imagination once more. I'm not quite sure what it'll be. You know, could be called the jugglers, where people are the best jugglers. No, I don't know. All I know is that people will come up with an idea that people will flock to once again. Well, one that was a big hit, of course, was MasterChef. I yeah. blew most a bigger hit here than it was, you know, when it originated mm. in the UK. Um, yeah. Now we have MasterChef the magazine. Yeah, so, so clearly not, clearly not in terms of franchises. And Top Gear was an exa- is a good example as well. Which also has a, a magazine and even a live element as well. Do they have um, action figures as well or no? Not yet? <laughs> Jeremy Clark's <laughs> an action <laughs> figure. Sounds like an absolutely <laughs> horrific you thought. pull a string yeah, and it just so. throws abusive in my <laughs> Minorities. <laughs> now, we might have time to look at the papers properly a little bit later, depending on where we go, but there was one that I just wanted to throw in straight away, which is just a brilliant headline while we're talking about the MasterChef story. Um, coverage of that was in the Australian on Monday, and just a brilliant headline, um, out of the prying fan and into the fire. I like it. It's a good headline. Snappy. Mm-hmm. Interesting. What were you? What's, actually, whilst we're on the subject, what's your best headline ever written? 
My best headline ever written is one that I actually I'm going to pick two headlines if I may, both of which I came up with myself. Hitler henchman's devil dogs ate my chickens. <laughs> what was that for? That was a story when I worked on a local paper about um, a potentially wanted war criminal turning up at the age of 70 in a neighbouring town <laughs> and somebody <laughs> having the recollection of the time that his Rottweilers came over the fence and ate his chickens. Fair enough. So it was all true. And the other one needed slightly more imagination, which was Rogue Space Probe crashes on Crawley. No, tell a lie. I better get it right. Rogue space probe may crash on Crawley. <laughs> Me. <laughs> and I believe we had a follow-up the following week announcing the good news that, in fact, it crashed down in the water somewhere oh, near Australia. Right. So it's happening. What you, Camille? Any, any your favourite I didn't think about that one. I think it, it, there's more um, headlines that other people have written, and I don't actually remember the whole headline, but there's, uh, there's one journalist I remember who had a propensity to writing um, pubic instead of public. Oh. And at one stage um, it ended up in a headline, so um, be careful with that. This was accidentally or on purpose? Well, I'm hoping accidentally, otherwise a little bit concerned. Scott, you must have one at home. Uh, I've got one of the picture of George Bush um, hanging out a, a boat with a fishing rod in his hand and a fish in the other, and the headline was Weapons of Bass Destruction. Nice. Uh, but I was working the night in the Scottish Sun when... Um, let me guess, hang on, I'm sensing it. Are you going to say super Cali, go yes. Celtic are atrocious? Yeah, when Caledonian <laughs> Thistle, the, the third divi- our second division team at the time, beat Celtic in the uh, super Cali, go ballistic, Celtic are atrocious. Front and back covers, brilliant. An absolute legend. Steve Wilsoncraft, you're a legend. And I noticed that probably um, very shortly after we get this podcast on air, it's the Walkley Awards, where of course they do have a best headline. Um, my favourite out of the shortlisted ones is the Violin Takio headline from the, uh, the <laughs> Telegraph for, for Kyle and Jackie O. So that's what the one that I will be cheering for come uh, come Thursday night. So um, that just before we move on, and we've sort of jumped around a bit, but just going back to television briefly, um, interesting quotes from David Mott, the uh, programmer for uh, Channel 10, the Spearman Experiment. Mm. Um, he kind of, he did that unusual thing. and Honesty? Sort of Being a, honest, yeah, I know. Admitted something. And, um, he you was know, wrong. It seems very unusual for a TV programme or a TV network to admit they got something wrong. But um, Look, what well, did he have to say for himself? Well, I think that given that um, it was so widely panned, um, the Spearman experiments, uh, Spearman experiments? Yeah, yeah. Spearman. <laughs> Not Spearmint. <laughs> As in the gum. Um, he said, we made a mistake. Uh, Magda, the talent, the host, was terrific. But, Magda, um, what was Magda's surname? Magda Zabansky, which you mispronounced <laughs> quite badly outside just before the program. How and did I you was... mispronounce it? <laughs> well, I think I won't bore the listeners with my attempts <laughs> to pronounce words. There are, there are many I can spontaneously get wrong. And the thing is, I mean, okay, so he admitted it. The thing is, we all knew it was a mistake, so fine. It's good that he actually could admit it. The issue, thing is, there is no, there's no, there is nothing wrong with copycat programs because the networks do it all the time. Hang on, as long as it, as long as it, as long as it rates. Oh come on! Between the medical shows, the rescue shows, um, the Master Chef ripoff that Channel Seven is going to be um, launching next year. As long as it rates, you know, as long as it glues the viewers in, and sometimes they do. So you're saying that the only thing they got wrong wasn't the fact that it was a weak imitation they put head to head with no, to I'm one. No, I'm just saying it was a it weak was imitation. It was the fact that it didn't succeed. If it had rated well, all would have been. I'm well. saying the issue wasn't that it was a copycat program. That maybe the production itself was 
was not the best and you know they needed a better producer or the idea wasn't as well formed as it should have been but just the idea of a copycat show wasn't yes. the issue I suppose the beach rescue is a popular format isn't yeah. it I, <laughs> I, I, I was lying on Mondai Beach on uh, over the weekend terrifying and, thought uh, which is a terrifying <laughs> thought clearly but I was, I was enjoying listening to the conversation where um, a sort of bloke was, was, was talking to one of his mates about how his girlfriend won't go out um, until she's watched they must be repeating early episodes of Bondi Rescue on Foxtel and he was uh, saying yeah you know she won't go out until she's seen the ex- episode of Bondi Rescue to which the other bloke kind of said where's it set? Oh. <laughs> and he kind of just said in a very very gentle voice it's called Bondi Rescue yeah <laughs> and to be honest they probably live in Bondi so you could just go down the beach and watch it every day and on to social media we go it's been an interesting week in the social media and digital world really um I guess one of the best known and analogously one of the best agencies is uh, Amnesia. Now they've they've seen a few changes recently. We saw one of the founders, Terry Carney, move on not that long ago, and um, Camille broke the news this week that um, creative director Andrew Richardson is also moving on. Um, uh, initially to the UK, but one of the uh, one of the the, the the jobs he's potentially linked with is the Reading Room, which is strong in the UK, but also has an Australian presence. Mm. So changes for Amnesia, but also, I suppose it sort of raises the question, Camille. On do you, do you think there's there are room for more social media agencies? Mm. I mean, it's an interesting question because what worries me is if if I was a client, I'd be wondering. Why would I need a social media agency? Does that mean my digital agency doesn't know about it, doesn't know enough about it, and you would think that they should? Well, this is the question, isn't it? Is, yeah. You know, should social media just be such a subset of digital that one just one just does it naturally? See, it, it, I think it's... And I think you better declare an interest. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll declare a few interests right now. Number one, I, I'm an agency boss of uh, House Party, which is a social media, digital PR, and digital crisis comms agency. Um, I just I think that focusing on social media, I think it combines a lot of different things, and you still need a digital um, heritage behind you. You know, you need somebody to help back you because um, if you don't, you know, if, you, if you're a social media agency without somebody who can um, create applications for you or in, or, or build websites or microsites, etc., then you you know you, you're going to run into trouble straight off the bat. But most people surely would argue that the natural place for social media to sit though is is close to digital rather than close to PR. Uh, I think it sits in between actually, because um, I think num- when it comes to social media, you're still creating you're creating communities, but you also need messaging behind that, um, and that's that comes from a uh, communications background rather than a, a digital background. But then you've got digital marketing agencies. But that's what I've always said. As of, you and I have had this discussion a lot that there's a convergence happening where you know advertising or community social media. Um, these 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 homegrown agencies, these new ones. You've got PR coming in. You've got market, uh, digital marketing agencies. Everybody's wanting a piece of the pie. So, ultimately, who's going to get the biggest slice? You know, only time will tell. Think we'll see some more startups come out. Well, usually, you know, a time of recession, a times of recessions, it's actually an ideal time for some people to start an agency. So, I mean, it's quite normal. Mm. And I think it's probably one of those things that as we get closer to Christmas people sort of put off launches so mm. I think it's going to be I would predict e- the last week of January the press releases will start to drop in the inbox of all the launches <laughs> that have quietly been out there in the background and are, are getting ready but obviously you know they won't want to pay you know new staff over Christmas and New Year's yeah. so they'll all start I do want to actually wish um, Andrew all the best 
um, and you know I will miss him in my football team next year because he plays in our team. Um, so if he does come back to Australia, then that'd be excellent. That means I can put him back into midfield and hopefully he'll do something useful this time. Still on the social media front, um, more developments as well, um, Camille, with a uh, scaling back in some directions and um, growth in others or potential growth in others. Yeah, interestingly, Bebo, which has been for a while, though, the poor second cousin of, our, of Facebook in terms of it just hasn't managed to get the profile of Facebook unless you have Irish friends and that's the Ooh, point. Oh, harsh, that's or, harsh. But no, uh, to be honest with you, I have about five Irish friends and I have about five friends on Bebo and they are it. And they've all now gone onto Facebook and they're probably just as or more active on Facebook as they are on Bebo. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the reality of it. But uh, for me, the, the bigger question, is it more indicative of... Well, it's probably just worth saying what's happening with Bebo, which isn't, yeah. they're not shutting down the site no, in Australia no, or anything like no. that, but they're shutting down their sales operation or certainly, Scaling I think they've described it as reviewing layoffs, it, haven't yeah. they? Yeah. And it's, it's part of a, a wider review globally and also within AOL, the parent company itself. And, you know, my question is perhaps is it more a reflection of AOL, the bigger, you know, the wider group? Because there are layoffs across the group. They've just, AOL has just launched a new, a new brand, new logo. They're going to be spun off from Time Warner. They've got a new CEO at the beginning of the year. They, you know, they're, they're undergoing a bit of a reinvention. Mm. And, you know, and Bebo is just a part of that. So, you know, maybe we could see a, a bit of a more exciting and change of direction in the strategy maybe we'll see it come back next year hopefully because you know there's there's room for lots of um lots of brands out there in the social media world including linkedin including linkedin mm. which seems to be doing a lot better right here over here than than bebo because they're opening up their uh, first australian office to be headed by cliff rosenberg former yahoo md mm. correct now two questions on linkedin if i might to both of you um, are firstly are both of you on linkedin absolutely yeah huh? yep and secondly how do you use it? I see. Now, there's a tough question. <laughs> I still find it a bit clunky, to be honest. I mean, it's the Facebook of business, I suppose, but it still needs a few more things added. I mean, they've got the new... Um, you can, your Twitter feed can come on it if, as long as you put the hashtag hash in, then anything you put, uh, that hashtag will appear on your page once you set it up, which is obviously a, a good addition because if it was your entire Twitter feed, then people might decide not to use you in business. Um, but I think it's you know it's, it's got potential and it is a slow growing um, social site unlike uh, say Bebo which has been around for I think Bebo's been around for what six years now or something I mean I, I had I've had an account for years and I dropped in and out of it but Facebook obviously captured the attention of more people and that's where everything goes now now LinkedIn I mean I, I must find it's it's sort of the amount of time I'm spending with it has accelerated slightly, but mm. still mainly is to accept invitations to connect and to offer. Because one of the things it does do is the bigger your network, the more it can guess who you might also know. Yeah. So it makes suggestions. But I must admit, my main activity is it's a bit like, it feels a bit like stamp collecting at the moment. You know, you, it is a bit, you, yeah. you accept yeah. these invitations and then you don't seem to do a great deal with them. Now, maybe I'm just well, using uh, it wrong. Uh, possibly for your role, then um, I think that. Maybe, maybe from a, from from a journalist's point of view, then it's a little bit different from a business point of view. For myself, you know, I've had introductions through it. Um, I've had people contact me through through LinkedIn for business. So you know that changes things. Whereas you, as a journalist, more people people are more likely to contact you through your site to tip you off for stories and that kind of thing. Yes, and also I'm still finding that. You know, a great source of tip-offs is the absolutely. the DM on Twitter. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, at Mumbrella, by the way, if ever you want to send me something. Um, Camille, how do you use LinkedIn? 
Um, I'm kind of like you. Yeah, I'm a bit of a stamp collector at the moment. Um, and it was quite funny because my friend was saying, you know, people can tell when you're moving jobs because you suddenly have all these connections that you, you're making, and which is kind of what happened to me when I went from, because I first joined about three years ago, had about under 10 connections. Uh, within one month, I had 150-ish. So that's the stage that I'm at the moment. Now I'm just figuring out how to actually use it. So Yeah, there's a few people on my profile that use it quite regularly, um, but yeah, I'm still... Uh, I must admit, there's a recruiter who just posted all of his jobs on there who I'm seriously thinking about unlinking. With yeah, well, see, that's a, it's not for that. You know, I don't. Mm. I, I mean, I've been contacted by a few recruiters as well through it, but it's definitely it should be shouldn't be posted up re- repeatedly. That's just spammy. Mm, no, it's just a spammy blast to this person's whole name and network. shame. Name and shame, Tim. Well, um, it's somebody who you wouldn't be surprised okay. to, uh, to hear about. It's probably a good way of putting it. On we go to radio. Um, Interesting tactics from Nova this week, Camille. They're they're kind of doing things a bit differently in December, aren't they? You know, yeah. popular. You know, they they've got some good sta- they've got some good stations around uh, around Australia and in individual cities with you know some strong some strong breakfast shows. If, if memory says, I think they're 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 strongest in Brisbane, I think. But um, slight change of tack. Yeah, well, for the first time uh, during the uh, ratings off season um, in December, they're actually syndicating um, the breakfast show. Uh, with Sophie Monk, um, Dylan, then they've got the Melbourne Dylan presenter. Lewis. Yeah, Dylan Lewis, the Melbourne presenter, and comedian uh, Dave Thornton. So it's a bit of a threesome there. I think so the first time they've had a three. Um, sorry, you just you just flinched there, Scott. Sorry, <laughs> I don't think it was a flinch. I think it was he suddenly looked the most interested he's been in a, oh, okay. throughout the whole recording. Um, it's twice we brought up threesomes in this, and you keep all looking at me. <laughs> Stop that. Well, so they're co-hosting uh, from December seven to um to Christmas. But the point is that so this this is going to be syndicated nationally. So no more. That's right. Now, now yeah. someone said to me, um, a um uh, a programmer from Capital Radio in the UK said that the perfect radio show or the perfect breakfast show could only happen on that day in that city. Um, Scott, do you think a national breakfast show can work? You know, um, no local flavour. Well, I'm from the UK, where Radio One breakfast show went nationwide across well four countries. You know, and um, it seemed to work. People, well, people listened to it first and then dropped off to Radio Two, where actually the interesting presenters were. But is that the role of a you know effectively a, a local station that that you know for better or worse has a local franchise? Um, I think it can work. I just think it, it just has to have the right people behind it. I mean, I presume that they'll be breaking out for local news. Yeah, I figure. I figure they'll have to do something like that and then travel. Yeah. Well, we shall see. But of course, commercially, it won't matter because it's in the non-ratings period. Bit of PR now, or some some. Uh, I'm going to seek some PR advice from. Scott, I think. Um, Hi, welcome to Dr. PR. <laughs> well, firstly, um, what, what, one of the more amusing stories that certainly made me smile this week was um, a, a, a couple of people ended up just sort of um, tweeting about um, a little Sydney website. Um, in fact, a very little Sydney website called Sydney Daily. It's Daily all about the Sydney. subculture. It is all about the subculture, because there's only the one, apparently, <laughs> who um, had a fairly racy American apparel lad on, or what appeared to be an American Apparel ad, although apparel, apparel, but yes. I think they were using they were using porn stars for a lot of their adverts. Yeah, so I think that was one of them. So it was a race, it was a fairly racy ad, although it, it looked like 
it wasn't actually a, a paid ad to run. It was more to make the site look like it had funky ads. Yeah. Anyway, somebody sort of tweeted, hey, that's a bit not suitable for work, couldn't you warn me? To which the uh, website tweeted back, get a life. Mm. Um, which is kind of interesting PR approach, isn't it? What, what yeah, would well, your advice well, well, be to well, brands? My, who my are... standard advice would be don't abuse people that are talking about you. Um, I think you know that's no matter what happens, join them in an interesting debate, but don't tell them to get a life. Um, it's pretty rude, to be perfectly honest, and it's not doing yourself or your brand any favours. Um, it's very similar to the... Um, uh, Irish airline that did something similar. Uh, uh, yes, Ryanair, I think yeah, it was. They're famed for it, though, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, one of their one of their guys on their blog and flamed some guy. Uh, look, you know, uh, you know, at ARTR who started the conversation on um, Twitter, saying that you know he works in HR, I believe, or in that field. So, you know, and I agree that if you if you if you go onto a site, then you don't want to suddenly have a pair of breasts flashed up at you when you've got people walking by you or anything like that. I mean, that's automatically going to go, ooh, pervert, you know, when you're like, just an American apparel ad, it's not my fault. <laughs> um, but I think the response was wrong. Um, you know, fair enough, you're a subculture, you can have the adverts you've got, but if you're going to have something like that, then I would suggest maybe a not safe for work warning or something well, beforehand. It, it became splendidly argumentative then, of course, because once we posted a story about it on Mumbrella, they then posted on Twitter on a hey, 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 customers, come to our support against Mumbrella because it would seem that we were being perceived as taking sides against them by reporting I was actually it. impressed by American Apparel's response, actually, on um, ARTR's blog and also on your site. It was nice to actually see them getting involved so quickly. From the US. I yeah, think. which means they obviously have some some, some um, monitoring set up and are, are working to ensure that they, they're covering everybody speaking about them, which is fantastic to see. You know, and A lot more companies in Australia should be looking at doing that kind of thing. Camille, your take mm-hmm. on it? I just love the fact that you very promptly retweeted their, um, their tweet about campaigning against Umbrella. Galvanising <laughs> this support well, against it, us. It's a, I, I certainly welcome robust debate, that's for sure. Um, now, while we're sort of on the, the, the area of blogging PR, there was also one where um, I was sort of passed a couple of sets of um, uh, conversations between what, 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 what eventually transpired to be a PR and a blogger, where they were trying to get their product placed by. Um, in, in, in the first case they kind of emailed this guy with a blog and sort of said hey we'd love to do a guest posting for you here you do um, uh, and is there a cost involved which the blogger took to um, I think being asked as are you going to pay me a fee when it was the other way round I mm. think was the was the implication but effectively it was only after the second or third exchange when the question was directly asked that the person fessed up that actually they were from a PR agency mm. Um but, you know, they made the argument. I think there was a great quote along the lines of, nobody looks at ads anymore, so we think it's a good way of doing it. Um, good good PR tactic, reaching out to reaching out to bloggers? Reaching, to out, a, reaching out to bloggers is a great PR tactic. to save them the trouble of writing things, I That's think just said. rude, though. See, uh, the, one of the problems is a lot of PR people seem to look at bloggers, uh, video bloggers, that kind of thing, as an extension of, of uh, traditional media, and they're not. A, blog, a blogger, a lot of bloggers are... Um, they work during the day, they've got their own jobs, you know, they, they maybe write three times a week about personal experiences, and that's what it is, you know, it's a web log, that's where it comes from, and it's about, and people discuss things that they, they enjoy, or things that they, they, they love, or, you know, things that they're hobbies with, and, you know, you don't just go to them and say, hey, we think this would be suitable, here's an article, can you post it up? That's just rude, that's you invading someone's, you know, personal diary type thing, and saying, hey, I like your diary entries, but 
here's one that I've written that I think's better because people will get to see it and promote a product. You know, don't get me wrong. You know, um, I was at an event yesterday and we invented we invited some bloggers down and um, some some a lot of media and journalists and you know they're taken down to an event to 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 enjoy the experience and if they want to write about it then you know that's up to them uh, and I think that's the key that you have to create something or offer something that is um, in, unusual or something that actually suits your audience that kind of thing rather than just saying here's an article get it on your site. And onto the world of advertising we go. Now, James Berg have launched a remarkably different ad for their new mm-hmm. spin-off beer, Pure. Um, it, the, ad, the ad itself is a minute long, and it's full of burning trees and flocking birds and spinning through the woods um, with no voiceover at all. Um, now, as one reader put it on Umbrella when we talked about it, it was like the Blair Witch Project on crack. <laughs> now, Scott, the ad, what do you think? It's a wasted minute of my life. It made, at no point did it make me want to drink James Bogues Pure. I'm shocked to hear it because I really liked it. Camille? I thought the uh, production values were quite good yep. um, from that perspective. Um, the religious undertones, that's um, the biblical under- undertones that's been mentioned with the, the burning the, tree. The burning tree. Um, I thought it was quite funny, actually, because, I mean, you know, maybe just it's reflective of how fanatical people are about their beer. Uh, which is fair enough because a lot of people are in this country especially. Well, it's nice as well because I, I felt that although it's a, it, it's not the same core brand, it's a sort of spin-off from Bogues, you know, with the whole sort of Tasmanian pure publicist mojo did the ad that was very much celebrated and won lots of awards. This again is publicist mojo mm. with the sort of Tasmania from the only place where it's possible. I just thought it had a really nice feel about yeah, it. No, see, I just didn't want to go near the beer. I just kind of thought, what a pretentious ad. That um, may be exactly why I liked it. Oh, that does say a lot. <laughs> I don't get me wrong, I love, disclaimer here, I love normal James Bogues. I think it's a great beer, you know, it's one, probably one of the Australia's best. I thought, it was, I thought it was good that it had a, you know, it was a bit of a uniform brand messaging, the, the you know, mystical feel, and, you know, trying to make, we all know Tasmania is a little bit special, but at least um, James Bogues is trying to make it special in a good way. Um, <laughs> I've, not, I've heard nothing <laughs> but good things about Tasmania, what have I missed? I think the only thing for me that misses the point is that um, James Bogues Pure, this particular ad, this particular um, new launch is supposed to have a premium positioning I don't get that um, from this ad compared to the Pure Waters ad for James Bogues the flagship brand that's the only criticism that I have personally I, I I would argue completely the opposite. I, it felt premium to me, you know, the fact that there's not you know some cheeky lad talking to the camera. And but but Bogues, you know, although Bogues always had those those adverts. I remember a lot of the Bus Shelter adverts with uh, who is James Bogues, I think it was. But they've never really done you know the adverts. I've always thought about them. You know, it's always played itself as a an upper class brand, I suppose. Would you would say it like that, or a, a brand that it's not a Carlton Draft. You know, it, it's not a VB. It's that premium beer so uh, you know when they're pushing out pure I think I just felt I just didn't gel with the the, the the advert at all in the slightest well that is where we will have to leave it today my thanks to Camille thank you and to Scott Rohde from House Party thanks Tim also to CBS Interactive for providing the studio facilities your producer was Georgina Pearson I'm Tim Burrows and that was the Mumbrella Podcast see you next week <laughs>